Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sunrise Room. I'm your host, Maddie. I'm so happy and honored that you are here again, taking the time out of your day to tune in and listen in to this week's episode. I think this took me 19 episodes to figure out how to properly record audio for the podcast, and I'm glad that we're finally here, but I dread having to go back and listen to all the episodes where my audio is just terrible or I'm too close to the mic and I apologize. Hopefully at some point I can redo those episodes. Um, There are some things I wish I could add to those. I actually can edit them but I just feel like that's going backwards and we want to go forwards and uh, this episode is the most highly anticipated episode. It is the most requested. It's the most talked about. It's the thing that I feel I know the most about and feel the most comfortable talking about. And so I'm really excited to finally talk about self-care. And I would like to talk about self-love as well. Uh, They do go hand in hand, but I personally believe that self-care is the most profound expression of self-love. They are different, but they are similar, if that makes sense. You know, you care for something you love and so it's the cause and effect type of mentality with self-care and self-love and in addition to that I will also be adding a little bonus advice session at the end of this episode I feel like that's really fun and I just feel like that engages me more with you guys you know you have questions I feel like I can answer them and I'm just excited so basically this is again I know I say this a lot but this is really what helped me feel better every day you know struggling with anxiety and depression and just overwhelming stress the only way I pulled myself out was doing little things every day and really starting to take care of myself and prioritize myself and treat myself like I was you know an external person you know taking care of my friend taking care of a family member I made sure to be consistent and reliable and taking care of myself that way I was dependable and that essentially built a foundation of trust for me you know it's hard to trust and love someone that isn't dependable and doesn't take care of you so you have to start from scratch if you're not doing a good job and I wasn't doing a very good job I wasn't doing it at all I didn't realize it was a job you know I didn't realize and understand that I how to take care of myself and that I had to take care of myself and that how I took care of myself and treated myself was reflected in how other people treated me and essentially took care of me but I think it's pretty interesting I think it's Again, mental health is not something that is talked about enough in school, and I approach self-care as if it were a subject. You need to be tested on it. You need to fail. You need to ask for help. You need to talk to other people about it. You need to be able to engage with the content every single day to master it. It's not something you're going to learn overnight. It's not something you're going to do well on if you cram for it and then don't think about it for a summer. You know what I mean? It's a foundation for living a good life and it's a foundation for being a good person and I found that this just makes me a lot happier when I take care of myself and really really be gentle with myself so I've really begun to realize that there are limitless kinds of and approaches to self-care you know this is about individual care and recognition of how your individual needs need to be met and how you need to be cared for and this in my opinion is how there is a clear distinction between self-care and self-love. Self-love is what drives self-care. You know, you do not care for something you don't love. It's true. Or if you do, you don't take care of it very well. You know what I mean? Like if you have a plant, I know from experience, that you constantly forget about, you're not, it's going to die. It just is. And sometimes they get kicked over, Ben. (laughs) Just kidding. I'm going to delete that. And it's going to be harder to take care of it once it's not doing well you know you have to restart and add even more nurturing to it and it's just a whole process and so starting off your life with good self-care practices will prevent you from wilting self-care is how you show self-love practices habits and communication with yourself self-care is the follow-through of self-love you know like animals too and plants I already said plants but We care for the things we love. And there are a few different levels of what self-care looks like. And I think everyone should at least be practicing these rituals and routines because it's basic, you know, care. This is the foundation for the other tiers of self-care once you've established that you're committed to taking care of yourself. 
I'm talking about hygiene, eating, hydration, sleep, exercise, socialization. I'd say these six things are essential to just basic human function. Taking care of the little things initiates a desire to do more for yourself. Everyone's different with shower schedules. You know, some people don't shower every day and that's great. That's how you function. But I like to shower at least once a day. I have a shower fit into my schedule any way I can. Like if there's an hour, I fit a schedule, a shower into there. Just, I like it and it works for me. And so that's how I take care of myself and I make it a priority. You know, I've crafted a shower routine I really benefit from. Body wash that doesn't dry out my skin. Shampoo and conditioner that help my, you know, uh, artificially dyed hair good shaving cream that doesn't irritate my skin, new razor blades every two weeks. There's something about, you know, being manicured for yourself, not even manicured, but clean. Having a routine of how often you wash your hair, you know, scents that you enjoy, being cognizant of how often you change your razor or your loofah because bacteria is everywhere and it's just proper hygiene to constantly rotate those, you know, new toothbrushes, wash your towels every couple of days, you know, those things have helped my skin and my hair, like washing your pillowcases and your towels. And like when you dry your face, getting a new clean towel every time, it's a lot of laundry. Actually, no, it's not. It's not a lot of laundry. It's manageable laundry that builds up over time. Get another towel. It's fine. You can do it. And it's how my skin has gotten a lot better. And it's how I care for myself by doing these things and, you know, making my physical health a priority. Everyone should take care of their skin. You know, your faces especially. Everyone has different skin. I have combinations. So I've done research on the best kinds of face wash for my skin that have good ingredients, clear values on their website, you know, no perfumes, no stripping. And I have fallen in love with taking care of my skin. I use CeraVe. I don't know if you say that right. Face wash, uh, niacinamide from Inky List, lactic acid from The Ordinary, and moisturizer from CeraVe. Very, and um, mineral-based sunscreen. That's like my five-step. That's all you need, really, if you look into it. Um, that's my like skincare routine. Very simple. Um, and I really like it. It also just gets me ready for bed every time. It gets me up in the morning. It's just a good concrete way to like start my day. I start my day by taking care of myself. Like how cute is that? And I used to never take care of my skin. I would wash it like once every two days, never put on moisturizer or sunscreen. And it made my skin really gross. And it would make me, you know, like uncomfortable. Like my face would be greasy. Like I have, I wear glasses and I stopped wearing my glasses because my skin was greasy. And I didn't think to wash my face. So I just stopped wearing my glasses. I didn't take care of myself in that aspect and I suffered because of it and I had a lot of headaches from not wearing my glasses because I am horribly farsighted and that just like sucked. It was not worth it. I should have just taken care of my skin. I also didn't know how to take care of my skin. That was something that prevented me from taking care of my skin was being properly educated. I really like Hiram's YouTube channel, Hiram. He's a very famous YouTuber for skincare. He gives great reviews of products and that are affordable. You know, my skincare routine's like $25 every two months, maybe three months. I don't go through my stuff a lot. I use a very minimal amount of it every day and it does the job. The 16 ounce face washes, $8. The moisturizer, seven. The niacinamide's five. The lactic acid's like six. You know, it's Hiram. That's the YouTuber's name, sorry. And, uh, his channel is super educational and I really benefited from studying his content and learning about the moisture barrier and what kinds of ingredients to avoid. You know, your face is going to be with you for the rest of your life. You should take care of it now while it looks good. You know, wear sunscreen. I'm always like yelling at my friends at the pool to wear sunscreen. It's like, guys, your skin's going to get gross and we should protect it. I sometimes forget and my skin feels awful after. But that's something that my mom really emphasized in my youth was taking care of my skin, always putting on lotion and sunscreen. That was like her thing, but I never knew how to like properly wash my face. And, uh, yeah, I just never found a brand that I really liked and never, I just also weirdly, I did not ever really get acne. Um, so I didn't need to wash my face in my mind. I was just like, water's good, you know? Um, if I washed my pillowcases and just washed my face and like sometimes put on lotion, I was, I rarely got acne. I like having the concrete routine, you know, at night and in the morning because I'll listen to like a podcast or just like stare at myself in the mirror, like with my eye bags. And I'm like, wow, like I look terrible, you know, but at least I'm washing my face and I'm going to feel better in a little bit. And this also forces me to like brush my teeth and floss and use mouthwash and just use like all those extra steps to like really take care of myself and like feel good before bed or in the morning, you know, having a morning and night routine 
that you allot time for implements success, undeniably. Like, if you dedicate 20 minutes to wash your face, brush your teeth, make your bed, and drink water, you're golden. In the span of your day, that is such an insignificant amount of time that is spent towards making yourself feel better and do better. That's the thing about self-care is that it doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take hours and hours in a day, you know, and it can if you give yourself that much time, and I'm genuinely impressed if you do. I'm getting there. But 20 minutes in the morning to make yourself feel clean and ready for the day and 20 minutes at night is not a lot. And my big emphasis on this routine is that you deserve it. You deserve to feel good before you go to bed. You deserve to clean off the dirt and sweat of the day and brush your teeth and then get up and do the same and feel good in the morning and take that time to really just be with yourself and, you know, have no thoughts in your head. It's the morning, you know, avoid your phone. That's the big thing too with self-care in the morning is I try to stay away from my phone as much as I can. I was reading about this guy. He's a med student and he was just like the worst thing you can do in the morning. The first thing in the morning is look at, is look at what happened yesterday or read emails from yesterday or look at posts from yesterday because subconsciously you're already invested in the past. You're not in the present moment. You sacrifice that time wasted by looking at previous things that no longer matter. He was just like, what happens if you like look at an email or a text and it's super negative or really bad and you start off your day in the past with horrible news? You're not gonna get the present back. It's gonna take a lot for you to become more present. I think it's something that we all deserve. We all deserve to you know, be successful by having a good morning routine. And it's really simple. I don't like when I like watch YouTubers' morning routines or whatever and they're super complicated and like they go to the gym for two hours and they make like these green juices and like I'm all for that on the weekend when I have time but in the morning I need 20 minutes to take care of myself. Make my bed, clean up my room a little bit, brush my teeth, wash my face, maybe do a five to ten minute meditation, stretch, drink a cup of water, Maybe 30 minutes, 30 minutes max. And then I go get breakfast and I go to class. That's all I need. That's all you need. And your day is completely, you you don't leave your room scrambled or frantic. You're not hungry. Like self-care is really, really simple. It's just doing it that's hard. Um, Same thing, you know, goes with consuming water and eating food. This is a normal part of self-care. Water in the morning is something that I struggle with. I try to have a cup of it in the morning. You know, I'm I'm just always dehydrated because I never clean my hydro flask, which is absolutely disgusting. But there was this one time last summer when I was working in Parks and Rec, I would drink an insane amount of water because I was always outside and I'd never felt better. Like I would drink like a gallon, more than a gallon of water today. It was insane. I've, I've never drank that much water in my life. I'm always dehydrated. Sometimes I don't even drink a cup of water a day. Like it's so bad. I don't know why my brain... I just, my whole life, I've never been a water drinker. I don't think about it. It's never like, I've tried everything. I will, I will die trying to drink more water. It's just, it's some, for some reason, it's just the one thing I'm horrible at. And I've accepted that, but I would like to change it, you know. I would drink like a gallon of water a day and I'd be so happy. I'd feel so good. And you know, it's really good for your skin, your mental health, your digestive system. It's just like super good for you. And I'm terrible at it and I need to do better. But... We deserve to not be dehydrated. That is a part of self-care. And a good way I've been trying to do this more is ordering anything, is not ordering anything but water when I go out to eat. If it's like an occasion, I will have an Arnold Palmer. Or sometimes soda is like too hard to resist. But I try to just order water. I haven't been doing that recently. I used to be really good at it. You know, sometimes we're not, we're not perfect, but that's okay. But with food, all I can say is that I hope everyone can get to a place where they feel they have a good relationship with food that sustains their mental and physical health. It's something that I found I love sharing with others. Like communal gatherings surrounded by meals is something I have come to really value. And I really hope everyone can experience that. Seeking help or consulting a nutritionist is really beneficial for everyone because it's just more information. Um, If it's overwhelming, I get that. Going to the doctor overwhelms me so much. I'm always horribly anxious in the waiting room, but um, it's always good to have more information when you're ready. But I hope everyone can foster a healthy relationship with food because everyone deserves that. No one deserves to suffer from not having that. 
I hope you're being helped. I hope you're healing. I hope you're able to enjoy a meal with family and friends and experience that communion. It's really wonderful. But personally, whenever I get anxiety, my stomach just closes up. It's been happening almost every time I go out to dinner recently when, and when I stop working out. I stop eating as much when I don't work out, which always makes me feel like crap and I'm always tired, you know. But I try not to be too hard on myself. You know, sometimes I'm just not as hungry. But allowing yourself to sleep is important too. Building that eight to nine hours into your schedule will change your entire day. I've spent different days experimenting with how much hour, how many hours of sleep I get. And I hate the days where I don't get as much sleep as I'm supposed to. You know, when I get used to the nine hours or eight hours and I like really get sleep, like good sleep. And the next day I get like seven or six. I'm miserable all day. And I've been getting into a horrible habit of taking naps. Awful. Like, not naps, like 30 minutes. I knock out for like three hours. I'll go to bed at like 1130. I'll wake up at 7 have or 730, have class, and then lift. And then I'll be dead by 1230. And then I'll, you know, quote unquote, take a nap. And I'll be asleep for four hours. I wish I could stick to going to bed early and waking up early. Because going to bed late and waking up early is not a vibe. And the naps in the middle of the day, like I missed, I've missed so much because I take naps. I basically, they're not naps, they're mini comas, honestly. You can't wake me from them. Like I will set eight alarms and none of them will wake me up. It's unbelievable. Or they'll stop. I don't know. It's weird, but I hit deep sleep when I go into naps because I'm so tired and I feel like crap all day and I'm not listening in class and just, I've never prioritized sleep before. That's not true. I sometimes prioritize sleep, but I prioritize being efficient more. And so I'll sacrifice sleep to get more stuff done. But I'm tired, so I don't do it well. It just doesn't make sense. I always make myself feel really guilty about getting up late. I don't know why that is. Probably because that's I've always gotten up early because at school at home, you know, I always get up early and my parents are driving me to school. I've been going, I've been getting up early since I was in kindergarten. So it's just like a part of habit, but I'm slowly training myself to not do that anymore. I haven't really found a good way to implement more sleep because I'm prioritizing spend doing anything else. But I, this last week I, I got really good sleep. And that was really nice. And it was kind of addicting. Like once I got that much sleep, I was like, oh, yeah, I can't go out. I want to sleep. And it makes me happy. And I really like that I'm sleeping more. It just makes me a happier person. So yay for improvement. I will say my boyfriend loves to sleep a lot. So it's been nice like retraining my body to sleep for a long time and actually enjoy it. And not wake up, you know, with my phone because it's nice to like wake up with someone and just like talk and enjoy the morning and talk about the day and just not, you know, be in a rush and just like sometimes I do bolt and it's just like a habit. Like I'll leave and just be like, oh my God, it's eight. Like, why did I do that? I could have slept for three more hours. Like it's just slowly retraining myself. Another part of self-care is exercise. This is something I want to talk about next season for sure in a whole episode. Uh, this is something I value and have a very complex relationship with. This is something I value extremely and have a very complex relationship with and have a lot of thoughts about. But it is so important in any and all forms. It's so good for your mind and your body. And I found what I knew to be true about exercise was entirely wrong. I don't have to hate it. I don't have to dread it. It's something that makes me feel good and strong and balanced and in control, most importantly. I absolutely love lifting weights. I try to do it every day. Some weeks I'm not as strict with myself because I don't like to be. And if I want to lift or not to lift, that's my choice. And I listen to my body. And I normally notice that my better weeks are when I do lift and work out in any way. And I love it. I love going to the gym by myself or with friends I personally like lifting alone. I just like to have my headphones in the whole time and just kind of do my own thing, go at my own pace, do my own reps, do my own sets. It's nice to go together, but I like working out individually. And I love it. I love to, you know, sweat and listen to music and lift as much as I can. And for me, it's become like church. 
an hour or so to better myself and clear my mind. It's kind of like my, you know, like my hour of silence, basically. Sometimes we partake in the elevated hot girl walk. Some days it's the Stairmaster. Some days it's yoga and Pilates and spin or a brutal leg day that results in me calling Bella to pick me up because I can't get up the hill. It just depends. You know, find what works for you. Swimming, riding horses, lifting sports, spin, yoga, walking, running, biking. There's so many different ways to do this for yourself. And there shouldn't be any pressure to like running. I found that everyone, that's just the common, like, I don't like to exercise, I don't like running, you know. If you don't like running, don't do it. Running isn't the only exercise in the world. And it's not exercise. Running isn't exercise. It's not the basis of it. It's good for you. It's a component of it. And it's a component of exercise that you don't have to partake in. If you like yoga, do it. It's really good for your mind and and your body. It's really good for your mind though. I personally love it. Find what works for you. Feel comfortable with it. Do it with a friend and let it become a form of self-care that you really enjoy and benefit from. I also think that expressing yourself in an athletic or you know in an athletic way is really good for you mentally and physically being able to express yourself and sweat and feel those emotions and that adrenaline and release those endorphins it's really good for your brain whether or not you're an athlete you know getting on it like going for a walk is so good for you and you have to make it enjoyable it shouldn't be a chore it's something you get to do for yourself because you love yourself So when I first started doing my hot girl walks during COVID, I would listen to some podcasts for like 40 minutes and I would dress really comfortably and bring water and bring my dog. Sometimes he can't really last that long, but I made it enjoyable. For a spin too, I would drive from my hometown to the bay, which is like an hour and 10 minutes. And I like some classes were at 7am. So I would get up really early. I'd have overnight oats made from the night before a cute pair of leggings. um, And then I get a good breakfast afterwards. And so I made it enjoyable for myself. I made it something that I can benefit from and not suffer from. And I didn't want to continue on being an athlete hating exercise. Because with everything that I'd gone through, I didn't deserve to still have a bad relationship with that outlet for myself. It was still something that served me and was good for me. I didn't, I did not deserve to not have that anymore. And I really um, have found self-care in and of itself to be a subject. It requires research, studying, talking to others, and tests. It's a course that will prepare you for the rest of your life. Can you imagine what our world would be like if we prioritized sleep, good food, a healthy relationship with exercise, communal gatherings, and little acts of self-love throughout the day? Like, imagine what kind of a world we would live in if everyone took really good care of themselves. Like, you thought to yourself, God, I really want to, like, get myself a, a latte and a fresh pastry and listen to a great album while I go sit in a cafe and people watch. Or you bought yourself flowers or a new candle or cleaned your sheets and pillows or got yourself a new toothbrush. I've emphasized this before. One of my friends actually reached out and told me that she really appreciated the way I phrased this. You know, that you are taking care of a person every day. You are taking care of a person. So sometimes I need to separate what I think I need to be doing versus, you know, how I would take care of someone else. So I'm like, okay, you need to brush your teeth three times a day. That's crazy. Twice a day, clean your sheets, drink a lot of water, eat really well, get some sun, read a little bit, meditate for a bit, you know, these things build up and seem really overwhelming. So take it step by step. I started during the pandemic, I would do 30 seconds a day of meditation. That's literally nothing in regards to time in your day, but it makes a huge difference. And then I would read 10 pages a day. And I'm an avid reader and I always have been. So my automatic thought is 10. I can do more than that. But most of the days I can't. And that's hard to admit to myself because I'm just like, oh, 10, that's not even a challenge. I don't even want to do it. But on the days I do read and do journal, I feel a lot better. I think it's unfortunate that we are 
not really told to take care of ourselves, that we're the last person we consider, that we're taught how to be a good friend, a good partner, a good coworker, a good boss. But are we really taught how to be a good person for ourselves? Are we taught how to set boundaries? Are we taught how to take care of ourselves emotionally? Are we taught how to understand our emotions and learn how to handle our reactions? You know, as a people pleaser, I repress my emotions, which makes my reactions even larger because I haven't let myself feel those emotions because I'm afraid of rocking the boat. I don't think that self-care is a subject that's taught in school. I think being a good friend is. I think being trustworthy is. I think everything we're taught about ourselves is how to be good externally for other people. You're supposed to serve yourself first and foremost. This is the only thought, like, out of everything that I'm going to talk about on this podcast and from this season, this is about you. And this is what changed my life. This is what made me a strong person is taking care of myself and learning to take care of myself and realizing that even now, some things I'm doing aren't good enough for me. And you're allowed to be like, damn, I deserve better, especially from me. You know, and I've learned to set boundaries with others and I need to set boundaries with myself too. That's something that I've found to be really difficult. You know, when you wake up in the morning and I'm like, I don't want to wash my face. I try to be like, well, why? Why don't you want to wash your face? You deserve it. You need it. Go wash your face. It takes literally 30 seconds. Build up that routine and take care of yourself. It's a full-time job and it's a job that you were given for a reason. You are put on this earth to live a full life. The first thing we should have been taught is how to enjoy it by taking care of ourselves by creating a relationship of trust and love and communication with ourselves so that other relationships are an abundance of that foundation. You know, if you're a really good friend, but you have horrible self-talk, your insecurities and project will be projected into that relationship. It doesn't matter if you're a good friend. If you don't love yourself and take care of yourself, you will, you can't be a good friend. It's just not possible. And I know because I've done it. I've been in relationships where I don't care about myself and don't love myself. And I burn out very quickly. I burn out in everything when I'm not taking care of myself. It sounds really negative when you think about it, you know. Oh my gosh, if I don't take care of myself, nothing's going to go right. No, it'll go. But it could be going so much better if you put yourself first. And putting yourself first doesn't mean you don't care about other people. It just means you prioritize yourself and your needs so that you can be better for other people. It's ironic that we aren't taught to take care of ourselves because we would make the world a better place. We would be better coworkers and bosses and friends and partners if we took care of ourselves first. If everyone took care of themselves first, if everyone got that eight hours of sleep, ate great food, had a great relationship with exercise, was in a, you know, an emotionally beneficial job, had a really great partner, all of these things. And having that foundation of self-love and trust and communication and care and having those practices in place, I genuinely don't think there would be anything wrong with the world. There obviously would be, but we would be able to tackle those problems better. If you really think about it, like with people in power too, has anyone, I don't know, I'm talking to myself here, but if anyone has really broken down the most successful people's daily live schedules, you'll notice that every moment is accounted for. There was one um, med student, I watched in one of his videos, and he talks about uh, Bill Gates and his daily schedule, and it is down to the hour, to the minute, because every minute counts. And he because he realizes that there is so much time in a day, he maximizes his potential. And look at where he is. A billionaire. It's also because he understands the attention to detail it takes to be successful. How do you expect to do all the great things you do if you don't even care to brush your hair in the morning 
or wash your face or clean your pillowcases. You're not treating yourself like something valuable. You're treating yourself like something and someone that's disposable and that doesn't matter. You're waiting for someone to take care of you. You got to do that yourself. And also it feels good. It's nice to wake up every day and not need validation because I give it to myself. I was talking to my therapist about introducing my boyfriend to my parents. And she was just like, how did it go? And I was like, honestly, I have no idea. I don't know what they thought of him. You know, I, I actually know I know what they thought about him. And it was obviously positive. They really liked him. But I was like, this is the first time I've ever introduced my parents to a partner. And been like, I care about this person and love this person so much and trust my own instincts enough to know that their opinion truly will not affect me that they're allowed to have their opinions I know that in valuing myself I've picked a partner who matches that energy have your opinions about him even though they are good obviously but trusting myself protected me from letting my opinions about something be changed by other people that confidence in myself and in my partner. Self-care seems a bit, it does seem a bit overwhelming. It did to me. It also just seemed artificial, almost. You know, the love yourself first, take care of yourself. It's just like, how? You know, yes, face masks and buying yourself candy and taking time alone and going on dates by yourself is really important. But it's deeper than that. Self-care is separating yourself from a situation you know isn't good for you, despite how it impacts other people. Self-care is cleaning your room and having a clean space. It's being out with friends and having the courage to say you're hungry, even though no one else in the group is. Saying, you know, I need to go to bed right now. I really do want to hang out with you guys, but I have an exam tomorrow and I got to prioritize this. This is a big deal. It's hard to take care of yourself and it's hard to not feel guilty. You know, why should you put yourself first? Because no one else is going to. That's the thing. Is that subconsciously we are our biggest priorities. Because we are with us every day. We feed us every day. We bathe us every day. We do schoolwork. We work. We do all these things every day with ourselves. You spend the most time with yourself every day. And you will for the rest of your life. You are your constant thought of what I'm doing, what I'm wearing. Why not make that an enjoyable experience by taking care of yourself intentionally and with love? I hope or challenge you, I challenge you just one week or one day to do everything with an intention for yourself. I'm getting up today. I'm going to make myself a good breakfast because I deserve it and I need it. I'm going to shower and clean myself because I need to. Or I'm going to go on a walk because it'll make me feel better and I'll be able to focus during work later. I'm going to get a good night's rest. I'm going to put my phone down read first, do something else to clear my head before maybe meditate for 10 minutes. Try a day, just a day of doing every single little thing with an intention. Map out your entire day and see how you feel after. One day. It's not overwhelming. It's insignificant when you really think about it. And if you really benefit from it, add one thing from that day into the rest of the days. One little thing, one 10 minute meditation every day. It's addicting, honestly, because you're like, this feels good. Maybe get a rhythm going. Go for three weeks. See how long you can go. And notice that taking care of yourself feels really fucking good. It's really nice and comforting to wake up every day and feel really good about the person you are because you take care of them and know that you deserve it more than anyone. Okay, and so for the final part of this episode, I thought it would be really fun to do an advice session. So I picked some of the ones that I felt I could talk about and just give a little bit of insight on. So one of the first ones that I saw that I really wanted to talk about 
was how to avoid FOMO and put yourself first, you know, instead of going out. I used to only not go out. You know, I always used to stay in and now I'm only going out and I've started to regress and say no a little bit and put myself first and just be like, you know what? I really don't want to go out. And I've noticed that for about like a few months, honestly, this past semester, ever since I had alcohol poisoning, I always like want to go out because I want to spend time with my friends, but it's the drinking, you know, and I think the best thing about avoiding FOMO is that it's honestly, it's just not going to be the greatest night ever. Like if it's every single weekend, like there's probably, you know, speaking from experience of going out every single weekend, they all blend together. The only memorable nights from this past year have been like Halloween and, you know, going to a frat in San Diego, but nothing at my school really. And I think when you, I think when you really look at FOMO, it's just the feeling of not being included, you know? So what I try to do when I don't want to go out is I make other plans with friends So I'm not, you know, there are always going to be other people who don't want to go out. So make plans with them or make plans before everyone goes out. So you get to see everyone, they're getting ready and then you're going to bed. I have a ton of friends who do that. One of my friends will literally come in, sit in a room while we get ready and just like chit chat and then goes to bed. And I think that it's a really good balance. I do think you deserve to go out, but I also think you deserve to stay in and put yourself first. Know that the party will never leave, that most parties are the same. And that you can always make other plans. I like doing that. I like going to dinner before with a friend who's not going out and then going out with my other friends. It's a compromise. It's about balance. It's about uh, assessing the weekend. You know, if you have a ton of work, stay in. Maybe go out one night, you know, not both nights. Or stay in both nights and then go out next weekend. You can find a way to make it work if you really think about it and ask your friends who aren't going out what they're doing and then make plans that way or do a girls I love a girls night in we should have done more of those this semester but it just it's something that takes a lot of going out and not going out to find a balance of what works for you I would say okay how to stop pushing people away I'm honestly horrible at this um I push people away when I need help so I have been trying to communicate better I have a really, really hard time admitting that I can't do something or that I'm struggling because I don't like people seeing me when I'm weak. And I think it depends on what context you're talking about pushing people away in, like if they're getting too close romantically or, you know, friend-wise or, okay, let's do romantically first. I'd say if, like if there's someone that's getting close and you're like not ready, just be open. Because pushing them away is a reaction instead of an action, you know? So it's like they're getting too close to you. So be upfront and just be like, hey, I'm not interested. Sorry. And that's like super uncomfortable. I've had to do that before. It's not a vibe, but it also makes it easier for the other person. And it's not fair to the other person. Um, Friend-wise, pushing people away, I think it's just a lack of communication. And it's also just a hard place. I feel like you're in a a rough spot when you're pushing people away. You're because you're not communicating. Instead of communicating, you are pushing them away. So I think you have to sit down and really figure out what you're feeling and what you're running from because you push things away when you're running from them or don't want to deal with them. Kind of takes like a reflection assessment. Honestly, just write shit down. That's how I do everything. I'm a very visual person and a hands-on person. So I like writing out stuff or I will sometimes make spreadsheets or diagrams of like my emotions and just, it helps. And it's like, yeah, it's weird, but whatever. Again, self-care is a subject. Some people are visual learners. Some people are oral learners, whatever. Like find out what works for you and don't make yourself feel bad about it. Um, What's the best way to do long distance? Mm. Okay. I have never done long distance. So we're going to speak in hypotheticals here. It depends, again, on how far you are. I am a strong believer that you can make anything work. You really can. If both people want to make it work, you can. Um, I think that constant communication is really good. 
I think before, if it's possible before you go away, really set boundaries of what you're comfortable with your partner doing without you. And people are going to be like, don't ever tell your partner what to do. It's also like some people have anxiety and need to explain that some things will make them upset. So I am one of those people. So I do. I explained what makes me upset. And that way we can have a conversation now and then late. And so we can avoid one later. Screw telling people. I'm not telling anyone what to do. I'm saying this makes me uncomfortable. This is a boundary. Please respect it. And that's so you're not supposed to be okay with everything your partner does. They'll walk all over you. You are supposed to set boundaries because you respect yourself. So best way to do long distance, have clear communication before you leave. Talk about what you're cool with. Talk about how much you want to talk. Make sure to do like a check-in. I feel like that would be beneficial, like individually and as a couple, like even though we're long distance, you know, hopefully it's, there's a time frame on it. Like it's not like indefinite. I would not know what to do if it was indefinite, but if you know you're going back to each other at some point, it's going to be work, but it's worth it if you love them. So have that communication set, you know, plan virtual dates. Honestly, it sucks, but make time and know that it'll be over soon. Um, And I think that if you guys have a really good, strong, trusting relationship, that it'll fly by, especially this is also another thing. Make sure you're both busy. Not in the sense that you can't communicate with your partner, but that you're not waiting for them all day. And that goes for anyone. Like, make sure you have your own life. Make sure you're seeing your friends and your family, or you have a job, or you're doing school, or you're bettering yourself, so that when you come together, you have stuff to talk about as well. Or that when you're on the phone with them, you're like, hey, I did this today. This was super cool. I think you'd really like it. When we're together, we'll talk about it. That kind of thing. I also think that writing letters is super fucking romantic and I would simply die if someone wrote me letters and I was long distance with them. It takes being creative, patient, and willing. That's pretty much it for long distance in my opinion. Okay, advice on motivation for sports and school. Okay, um, I've definitely gone both sides with this as well. I've gone in and out of motivation. I think once I figured out how I study and what I need, motivation doesn't really cease for me. I I find that expanding my knowledge and my learning abilities is something that I really enjoy. So I guess I was lucky in that sense. That's just how I was programmed to really like learning and working hard and challenging myself mentally. So if you're not like that, find a way to make it easy for yourself. If you need like 18 different colored flashcards and highlighters, don't deny yourself that. If you need to make audio notes, don't deny yourself that. Make make shit easy for yourself. You're not supposed to struggle. Seek help if you need it. It's not embarrassing. I spent so many hours in a tutoring office this semester. Her and I became hella close and it was nice and I felt a lot more confident in the class and I did a lot better and I, you know, had never gone to a tutor before. The thing about motivation is that you create it. You have to create it. You have to find a way to enjoy shit like this, to get through it. Find any little thing. Make a reward system for yourself. You know, imp- apply it into your daily life. It's If it's a class that you absolutely hate and you need to get through, power through it. I've been through those. We are all going to do that and we all have been through that. Now with sports... I get the no motivation thing because I didn't have a healthy relationship with it. If I could go back and talk to younger me, I would tell her to nothing in sports is personal. You missing a point doesn't make you a bad person. You missing a serve doesn't make you worthless. Separate your self-worth from when you're playing and chalk it up to, you know, performance, not personality. It's not personal. Your messing up isn't a reflection of you as a person. You're allowed to have bad days. You're allowed to have bad practices. Make sure you take care of yourself. And just remember why you love it. I, Whenever I would go through really, really dark periods of not wanting to play anymore, I would do this every time. I would sit on my bed and put on my LeBron 16s, my knee pads, my spandex, and my favorite practice shirt. And I would look at myself in the mirror and I would not say anything. I'll just look at myself in my gear and just get really emotional. I was like, this is not going to be the last time I dress up. This is not going to be the last time I put on these shoes. Aside from all the bullshit, all the tears, 
all the teammate drama. I love this sport. The sport is how I express myself. The sport is my home and I love it. And I wish I'd taken care of myself. I wish I'd mentally checked in and learned to stop obsessing over highlights and getting recruited and being fit and impressing my parents and satisfying everyone but myself because I sacrificed myself and I sacrificed an athlete and I wish that I hadn't done that. I wish I'd had someone who could have helped me. It's a big thing with college athletes not being mentally okay and I wish that I'd learned from the moment I stepped onto the court how to prevent that. So take care of yourself. Be easy with yourself. And remember to check in, honestly, with sports and school. Find what works for you. And remember that doing well in school and sports isn't a reflection of you as a person. Performance isn't personality. It's not. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. How do I get over the fear of rejection? I feel like it's controlling my life. Again, all these questions, you know, are are pretty broad, but I'm going to go off of what I immediately think of. I didn't get into my dream school. I got waitlisted. Every guy I met last semester, it was a big fat no. And these doors that were slammed in my face led me to a door I couldn't imagine not going through. Rejection is redirection. It's not the end. And honestly, I've learned, this is going to sound so hippie and so cheesy, but everything, everything happens for a reason. If you're told no, it means an awesome yes is coming. I didn't get into my dream school, but I got into the school I'm at and I met my wonderful friends that are like 100% going to be at my wedding. Like I just know. I've really become a better person out here, a stronger person out here. And I don't think that would have been the same at this other school. I'd applied for this job I really, really, really wanted and I didn't get it. But then I got asked to go on a trip to Italy. I think the no's are just a please, dear God, don't do this. Like there's something so much better for you coming. And looking back, all of these no's I would have been really unhappy with. And I'm really glad I didn't stop either. It takes, it took me a lot, a lot of no's to realize that it's not an end. It's a please keep going. This is not good enough for you. Or this isn't what you need right now. This isn't yours, essentially. I think that's also something is that this isn't yours to have. There's something else that's meant for you. But I think fear of rejection comes from not thinking you're a bad bitch. Fear of rejection. Okay, let's say like like a guy. Like, I really like this guy. Fear of rejection. I put myself on the line. And whoo, so many no's. And for a little bit, I was just like, what did I do wrong? Like, am I not good enough? And then I was like, fuck that noise. I'm a bad bitch. And you just have to keep telling yourself that until you believe it. That's the only, that's the only thing about confidence, I will say. You just you don't pick it up and find it somewhere. You don't you know, you don't just magically become confident one day. You have to condition yourself to believe it. And once you do, that's your strongest superpower. Because when you hear a no, it's not, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe I you don't like me. It's a you made a big mistake." Because I'm awesome. But it's also gratitude because you know that something else is coming. You're allowed to be afraid, but don't call it fear of rejection. Call it fear of redirection because that's what it is. It's not a no. There's never going to be a flat out no. There will always be something else coming. Fear of redirection is valid. Change is scary. What you expect to not become your reality is scary. Something else happening is scary, you know. Just got to go with the flow and surrender and know that whatever is meant for you is coming. I speak from it personally. I'm very glad that I surrendered and didn't just stop, you know. I also don't think it's possible to plateau. I genuinely don't. There will always be another opportunity, another person, another job, another city, another... There will always be something more. It's not rejection. 
it's not the end. Just a reroute. Family validation versus personal values. What if your loved ones don't know what's best for you? Hmm. I personally think they don't. I don't think they do. I think they want what's best for you, but they don't know what's best for you. Because they will only ever see you as a version that they've created. This is how you feel about them too. You have a version of your parents and family members that you've created that they don't see eye to eye with. Because how could they? They're completely different people. I think with family values or like validation, you take their love and that's it. You know, you do take their guidance. I look to my parents for tons of advice and all of these things, but I know what's best for me after not knowing what's best for me and seeking it from other people and living your life in accordance to other people's seek or seeking of validation from other people is super unsatisfying and really draining. I think you will always know what's best for you. And it's totally valid to take advice from your parents and your family and get their opinion. But they will never know what's best for you because they aren't you. Same goes for other people. You might give the best damn advice of your life and it just might not sink into that person's head. Because they're not you. This something might totally make sense to you. And it doesn't make sense to someone else because they are not you. I think I've learn to stop seeking validation from my family because they don't you know after pretty much a year of living not with them how could they how could I seek validation from them because they don't know me anymore and I know what's best for me because I'm a new person I seek their love of course but I don't need them to validate the decisions I make I don't need them to validate the partners I choose I don't need them to be proud of every decision I make because I am. I'm proud of everything I do, even if it's horribly embarrassing or I regress or I mess up and, you know, don't do well in class. Why wouldn't I be proud of myself? I might not be happy. I might not want to do it again. But... I don't need those feelings from anyone else. You don't owe them internalizing their opinions and letting it take over your life. Like, you can do what they want, essentially, if that's your dynamic and, you know, please them. But internally, you can be your own person. They don't see the inside. They don't know what's in your head. You're still allowed to be your own person and have your own thoughts, even if you still have to meet certain standards for your parents. Like checking off the boxes without being emotionally attached, if that makes sense. It's kind of like a little separation I've learned. Ooh, this is the last one. Okay, how to handle the feeling of time passing fast. I don't know if anyone else just had like a really hard time growing up because they didn't want to grow up. Like I was, I remember being in like fourth grade and just crying in my room because I was getting older. And I didn't want to get older because it made me really, really sad. I really loved being a kid. I loved playing with toys and crafts and making things and being creative. And I was always really, really happy as a kid. I loved it. And I dreaded change. I dreaded growing up. I dreaded not being able to sit on my dad's shoulders it was a lot of emotional weight I carried at a really young age because I understood. And I think that's where my anxiety started too, is that instead of enjoying my childhood, I became really anxious because I knew it was ending and I didn't want it to. And I wasted a lot of it by dreading it. Yeah, I, uh, I know what that's like. So I know that I didn't handle it well when I was little because I would just cry. And one of the best ways I've found 
to handle time passing by is making scrapbooks and, you know, memorializing it in some way, taking pictures with my friends, going out as often as I can, making the most of every single thing I do, living with an intention. You know, Ferris Bueller says, you know, if you don't stop and look around every once in a while, you just might miss it. And I think that's true. I think being in the present moment makes your life go a lot slower. This past semester felt so much longer, even though chronologically it was shorter in time, because I was a lot more present. Really, truly connecting with my friends, spending time, deepening bonds. The only way to, you know, handle time passing by fast is to ground yourself as much as you can and take in every single little thing and take pictures and not be on your phone time being on your phone wastes so much time it's incredible how much time you waste on your phone that's one of the worst ways to start the day too I absolutely do not like starting the day on my phone ever but I hate that feeling I hate the feeling, you know, I hated graduating high school. I hated sitting in that, we were sitting at a baseball stadium and looking around and just like, how did this four years just gone? And I made a scrapbook of the summer and I made sure to do something every single day for myself and with my friends and that made every day slow. I've noticed too that I live in a rush, which I hate. I don't like living in a rush. I don't like walking fast and talking fast and eating fast and getting up early and having to feel like I need to be out of bed at 7:30 and doing yoga and all the stuff like I like being productive, but I also like living slow. I like 2-hour meals. I like 50-minute showers. I like being in the gym for two hours. I like reading for an hour. I found what I need to do in a day and I know that I don't need to finish it all by 10 a.m. I like laying out in the sun for two hours. I like being on the phone for a long time. I like doing my homework for a really long time as well. I like making things. I like living slow because you can enjoy it. If you rush through things, you're not going to enjoy it or remember it. So remember to stop and take a deep breath and look at where you are and think about where you were a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, and appreciate all that you've had to do to get here. Appreciate all of the tears. All the fighting, all of the growth, all of the friendships, all of the relationships. Because yeah, time's passing by fast, but you also need to pat that person on the back for making it this far. For going through all that shit. If you're able to appreciate yourself and thank yourself, time will go by slow. Because you'll want it to, because you want to spend it with yourself. Remember to enjoy stuff because you deserve to. That's another form of self-care. Is really taking the time to just be with yourself. And check in and see what you need and what you want. Living by yourself also makes time go really slow. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening to this week's episode. And this concludes season one of The Sunrise Room. I would like to thank Anchor, the sponsor of this season, for all of your support. I'd like to thank you guys for all of your support. Thank you for the reviews, the comments, the DMs. I appreciate it. I hope you all grew this season with me. I'm excited to continue the content once I'm back from Europe. I will be back in June. I hope to hear your guys' thoughts about this episode. If you have any requests, recommendations, questions, comments, or concerns, 
please don't hesitate and feel free to reach out at the Sunrise Room underscore on Instagram. Thank you again so much for tuning in and listening to this week's episode. I hope you all have a beautiful rest of your day. Thank you again. Thank you.